We are the Pop Grillers, and this is the month where we review the top grossing summer blockbuster from each year starting in 1989 and ending in 2001 to test whether they stand the test of time. Up next, Batman Forever. Released between the first Friday in May and Labor Day weekend in 1995, it went on to achieve a total worldwide gross of 336.5 million, according to Box Office Mojo. Riddle me this, is it wrong to retroactively place blame for the overly camp and pantsomime comic tone of Forever solely at the beat of Jim Carrey? His style was stellar at this point in the 90s, and it's clear Schumacher and the WB execs built their gauche and gaudy spin on the Cape Crusader around him and his OTT performance style as Enigma aka the Riddler rather than Val Kilmer's Bat. In my formative, more forgiving film watching years, this didn't either occur to me nor bother me. It does now. Carey isn't the only overacting issue, mind. It's across the board, despite the cast list for this, on paper, arguably being mostly class. Kilmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Carey, Nicole Kidman, Michael Goff, Ed Begley Jr., Debbie Mazar, Drew Barrymore. Their performances, without argument, are not class. So mannered are their performances, they make the 60s camp classic cast of Adam West, Burt Ward, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, Stafford Rep, Frank Gorshi Natal look positively underplayed. In my opinion, one of the issues that befell Big Screen Batman, pre-Chris Nolan era, was a lack of focus on the titular character and his everyday billionaire playboy philanthropist alter ego, Bruce Wayne. It was all about the villains. This film was the perfect opportunity to right that wrong. Batman could have battled a cold and calculating two-face, caped and cowled, whilst Bruce Wayne could have intellectually duked it out with Edward Nigma, decked out in his sharpest business suits. Two villains, two plot lines, two worlds. This could have culminated in a crossover and a cliffhanger where Nigma's psyche is fractured and the Riddler emerges as a dominant persona ready to be the lead villain in a subsequent sequel. Alas, this was not to be. Instead, what we got was an overly designed and busy film that nevertheless feels deathly dull and emotionally empty for its overlong two-hour runtime. What we got was a mid-twenties Chris O'Donnell as a whiny and bitch-slappable side dick. What we got was a poor imitation of Jack Nicholson's 89 Joker in duplicate. If the evidence was ever in doubt that these two rogue representations are reprehensible, you need look no further than Aaron Eckhart in The Dark Knight and Paul Dano in The Batman. They're just another level. What we got was a threequel that made crazy money, the first film to earn 20 million in a day. Hence, we got more of the same worse of the same, nadir of the same, two years later. All things considered, having rewatched this twice now in recent years, I'd much rather listen to Kiss from a Rose on a Loop 35 times than sit through this again. For me, from this point forward, this is Batman, faux never.
make sure you subscribe because you never know what the pop grill is we'll give the kiss of death to next